Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. And a very good morning to everyone. On this Friday morning, we are comfortable temperature now. can kind of start seeing the the increase getting close to summer. It's 78 degrees now. Right now, we used to have those beautiful mornings where it was about 69 for quite a while. And uh, 68, it was perfect. So it's heating up a little bit more now. Still able to be in the studio without air conditioning, which is very nice. I enjoy not having to turn on the air. But we are moving on in the book of Samuel and in the book of Luke. Got a lot to cover and the change of the the kingdoms, Saul over to, to David. But before we get there, let's look over at this day trivia for April 28th. The more I grow, the less you can see. Answer, darkness. And here is the famous quote of the day. A man is not old until regrets take the place of dreams. John Barrymore said that. And I can see that's that's interesting. True. Mussolini is executed on this day in 1945. The Italian fascist dictator Benito Mussolini is killed by a firing squad. And the first atom split by a particle accelerator was on this day in 1932. Well, that's early. British physicist John Cockcroft and Ernest uh, Walton announced they had split the atom using a particle accelerator to bombard lithium-producing alpha particles. It was the first split of the nucleus in a fully controlled manner, and they were working under the direction of Ernest Rutherford, who in 1917 became the first person to, to split the atom. And, of course, the implications of all that is the atom bomb, nuclear change in, in the kind of the outlook of the world that it was not possible to completely destroy the world. But but even weirder than that is what I was just covering recently. Uh, the research that they've been ongoing ever since then on the particle accelerators and the largest machine in the world, the Hadron Collider there in uh, France and Switzerland, uh, has been doing research trying to break those particles to the smallest, smallest particle down into the quantum level. So in the quantum level, no, none of the physics apply. Everything goes wacky. And they're able to then, they believe, see into other dimensions or open up portals into other dimensions. By their own admission, this is what they said they're trying to do. So uh, this has prophetic implications, believe it or not. It's kind of when science uh, crosses over into the prophetic and into end times stuff. So it's very applicable. This is happening uh, in this last great time period. You might even call it dispensation or something. First automobile race, April 27th, 1887. The first automobile race is won by French engineer George Bouton, the only entrant. <laughs> well, how could you lose? He was the only entrant in the race. The race was organized by a French cycling magazine in Paris, and it was a mile and a half long. He drove a steam-powered vehicle created by the automobile country, De Bon Bouton. And um, it, I was trying to see that somewhere mentioned the speed that he went. Basically, he went about two miles an hour. 
won the race. Billy the Kid's last murderers, I have to mention this because this all happened in our state, Renee and I, New Mexico. The notorious outlaw Billy the Kid commits his last homicide, or homicides, plural, while escaping Mesilla, New Mexico jail. He kills deputies James Bell and Robert Olinger. He was killed by Sheriff Pat Garrett several months later. And Mutiny on the Bounty, April 28, 1789. Fletcher Christian leads a mutiny against his commanding officer, William Bly, a.k.a. Captain Bly, on the HMS Bounty, placing Bly and some of his crew adrift on an open boat. Bly survived a 47-day, 3,600-mile voyage to safety. Christian and his mutineers landed in Pitcairn, at Pickering Island, where they lived out their lives among the native inhabitants. Isn't that interesting? They pulled it off. I'm just amazed that Bly could survive in a small boat 47 days and go 3,600 miles. It must have had a good sail and a good wind. Amazing or something. Well, let's look over to the dad jokes for this morning and see what we have here. Let's find out. Why do skeletons never go trick-or-treating? Because they have no body, no body to go with. <laughs> we don't do trick-or-treat stuff. Can February, March? No. But April, May. May, April, May. That's really, that was bad. Let's do one more. What's orange and sounds like a parrot? A carrot. Yeah. That was obvious, right? So now we are ready to move on to to the reading. So 1 Samuel 15 and 16, we are looking into Saul's disobedience. Saul is really a picture of a person that the seed is planted in rocky soil. I mean, he had a great start with uh, Samuel and the Holy Spirit coming upon him and prophesying and all that stuff. And then, boom, he just kind of, it just gets choked out. Power, pride, the riches of the world, you name it. Father, thank you for this time. And we ask that you would guide us now as we look deep into your word and that you would show us these truths that you want us to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has and do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman and child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Talaim, 200,000 foot soldiers, 10,000 men of Judah. Saul came to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the valley. Saul said to the Kenites, go depart, go down from among the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the sons of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. So Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and all the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the fatling and the lambs and all that was good and were not willing to destroy them utterly. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, 
I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul. And it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Wait, and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak. Samuel said, Is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission, and said, Go utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them utterly until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, and the choicest of the things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words. Therefore, because I feared the people and listened to their voice, now therefore please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Also, the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Then he said, I have sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and go back with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back following Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. And Samuel said, Bring me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. And Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, but Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, for Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Chapter 16. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, How can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, 
take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. You shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, Do you come in peace? And he said, In peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his height or his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Next, Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all the children? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, and behold, he is tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. Verse 12, so he sent and brought him in, and he was ruddy, with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Samuel's servants then said to him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you. Let them seek a man who is a skillful player on the harp, and it shall come about when an evil spirit from God is on you, that he shall play the harp with his hand, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the young men said, Behold, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior, one prudent in speech, and a handsome man, and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the flock. Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread and a jug of wine and a young goat and sent them to Saul by David his son. Then David came to Saul and attended him, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David now stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. So it came about, whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand, and Saul would be refreshed and be well, and the evil spirit would depart from him. How interesting. We see the transition of the kingdoms and also the spirit of God leaving Saul, coming upon David. And we don't know all the details. There's all kinds of interesting debates about the evil spirit from the Lord. Can there be an evil spirit from the Lord? Or does God permit the evil spirits of the Lord to torment him? As God is pure light and there is no darkness in him, it's a good debate. And there's some interesting word studies there we don't have time to go into. But the overall, the truth of the matter is there was the evil spirit tormenting him. Now, what I find fascinating is that his spirit could be calmed with in my opinion, is worship music. A skillful player that he can play music. Well, David now is coming before him anointed with the Spirit of God. And he was a young man out in the fields looking up at the stars and 
honing his musical expertise, watching the sheep and singing to the Lord. We see David the psalmist who writes these incredible words. And I think that he had some kind of walk with the Lord before Samuel came. That's why God says, I'm looking for man after my own heart. And he sees David out in the field with his sheep, and he has this heart of worship. You can debate that, but I mean, it doesn't say specifically, but he found someone with the right heart, and David had this heart. So playing the music the way he did, it's my guess Saul could sense the goodness of God in his music. And whenever we come into that worship of, of the Lord, and it's pure, and it's beautiful, It lifts us up, and it can lift us up out of despair and depression, and it kind of can remind us. Many times when we've all strayed away from the Lord, it can remind us, oh yeah, that's what it was like when I was truly in God's presence. I remember the feeling of of that being clean and being at peace and not in all this anxiousness or depression, whatever it is. And so Saul would go into these rages. He would be calmed because it would bring back that memory. Now the thing is, it was... Supernatural God taking the spirit from him, it's not like we have today, but that spirit hypothetically could have come back had he obeyed. And this was the whole thing with Saul, and this was the lesson we always get from Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. What happened on the first time when he couldn't wait for Saul, the enemy's coming, oh, I got to sacrifice, I got to sacrifice, disobeyed because he sacrificed. Now he's half-hearted in obedience, he obeys most of what God says, but then he says, no, I spared the king. And, you know, in those days, it was always a big deal to bring back the king that you've conquered to show all the people, hey, look at me. I got this guy. I conquered over this guy. And, of course, he builds builds a monument to himself. So you see the pride starting. Why did he need to bring back the king? I mean, he said he brought the animals back for sacrifice. Ah, okay. But that was this, again, trying to be religious to be approved unto God by his own methods, not by God's method. And he's bringing back the kings, so he looks really good in front of everybody. And in fact, again, rather than being the heart of David and falling down and crying and weeping all night before the Lord because of his sin, he's like, oh, I've sinned greatly. Would you come with me so everybody <laughs> sees how good I look with King Agag here? How that they'll all honor me? See his whole, the issue of pride as it was just overwhelming him. And so he, he was falling into divination, idolatry. This was a form of idolatry. He was essentially kind of a, <laughs> creating his, himself as his own God, in one sense, perhaps. This tragic story of Saul, we all want to always remember, be careful with the sin of pride and not fully obeying God. And this is a big deal in the church today. Oh, I'll believe, I'll obey God. Absolutely, I'm going to go worship the Lord and do everything, but I'm going to live with my boyfriend or girlfriend. And, uh, well, it's, it's, you know, it's not 100% obedience, but pretty close. Or I'm going to you know, go out and party on the weekends. I'm going to cheat on my taxes. I'm going to go to church, but I'm going to still you know, surf the Internet for all kinds of inappropriate and immoral sexual stuff on there. And God is saying, you're Saul bringing back Agag. You bring, you're coming back and saying, hey, look at me. I've obeyed God. I am going to the Bible studies. I go to church. I might be on the worship team. But God is, can see us and go, yeah, but I want, to, I want you to follow me completely. I want your full obedience, not this 80% stuff. Big challenge for us, isn't it? Big challenge, but that is what we are called to. And we can do it because, unlike Saul, we do have the Holy Spirit, right? We have the Holy Spirit in us. Okay, Luke 20. 
On one of the days while he was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders confronted him. And they spoke, saying to him, Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, or who is the one who gave you this authority? Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you a question, and you tell me. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? They reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered they did not know where he came from. And Jesus said to them, Nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Verse 9. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey for a long time. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers so that they would give him some of the produce of the vineyard. But the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send another slave. And they beat him also and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send a third, and this one also they wounded and cast out. The owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the vine growers said to him, they reasoned with one another, saying, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy these vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. When they heard it, they said, May it never be. But Jesus looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. 19. The scribes and the chief priests tried to lay hands on him that very hour, and they feared the people, and they understood that he spoke this parable against them. They watched him and sent spies to pretend to be righteous in order that they might catch him in some statement so that they could deliver him to the rule and to the authority of the governor. They questioned him, saying, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly and that you are not partial to any but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And he detected their trickery and said to them, Show me a denarius, whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Then render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were unable to catch him in a saying in the presence of the people, and being amazed at his answer, they became silent. <laughs> you can never try and pull a fast one on God. And yet we all try. We rationalize things and, and think, well, if I'm clever enough, I can kind of do what Saul did. Hey, I brought back the best of the animals for you. I brought back the king for you. I did all this for you. And God's going the whole time, no, I know your heart. I know what's really going on inside there. And he knew what was going on with these men. And he knew what the Pharisees were up to. The Pharisees knew what he was saying, which is interesting. You know, the picture of the vine was pretty popular imagery of Israel, even today, that the vineyard uh, is the vine. We are grafted into the vine as Gentiles, right? We are a part of that. And so he's saying, you guys are the ones working in the vineyard. The vineyard is owned by God. He sent his son and you killed him. 
and this is interesting, he's saying this before he goes to the cross. You've killed all the prophets previous, or you've put them in prison, you've hurt them, you've kicked them out, and you've taken what was God's for yourself, the fruit, so to speak, the people, those that should be drawing their, their sustenance from the root and from all of the prophecies and growing in God and serving him, sacrificing. And they, were, they wanted all the people for themselves and all of that produce. But Jesus comes and said, and, and what happened? Well, the, God sent, he's doing all this in the past tense, his son, and you killed him. And so he's looking, looking at them straight in the eye, basically saying, you're going to kill me. And what will God do to you? And then he gives the parable of the cornerstone. And I, I said, be careful because you think, you think that you have control of, of the vineyard. You think you have control of Israel. God's going to come and judge you. And he's going to fall on you. And you're going to be judged and crushed. And of course, now they go and decide we can't handle this kind of uh, threat against us. We're going to try and take him out and trick him and get the governor to kill him. And of course, it doesn't work. You cannot outsmart God or outrationalize him. And it is a strong instruction for us for lack of a better term, to pay our taxes. Render under Benjamin or George Washington, what is is theirs? Leaders of the nation or in Canada, I don't know who's on your your dollar bill, who's in your denarius. It would be nice to go fishing and get it though. (laughs) Wouldn't mind going out and fishing and getting enough to go pay our taxes, that would be nice. All right, Charles Spurgeon, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. 2 Corinthians 6.16. I love that verse. Dwell on that verse for a while. That is a phenomenal verse. Here is a mutual interest. Each belongs to each. God is the portion of his people, and the chosen people are the portion of God. The saints find in God their chief possession, and he reckons them to be his particular treasure. What a mine of comfort lies in this fact for each believer. This happy condition of mutual interest leads to mutual consideration. God will always think of his own people, and they will always think of him. This day, my God will perform all things for me. What can I do for him? My thoughts ought to run towards him, for he thinketh upon me. Let me make sure it is so, and not be content with merely admitting that so it ought to be. And that's a good way to end it and a good way to think about it in terms of what we all what we just read of regarding Saul, regarding uh, these things we see in Jesus and these Pharisees. Make sure that there's a contentment between you and God. He's thinking of you. You can dwell on him. We ought to know that he is there. And if we obey him, and it's the law of grace, not the, the law law, but the law of grace to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And and other people around you. Love God, love people. That's really the law. Love them and then follow the way that the Jesus modeled how to love them, to serve them, and to consider them, and not be prideful and not be puffed up. That kind of obedience is better than ritualistic sacrifice. And this is why it's dangerous to be so focused in liturgy well, if I go to church and I light the candles, I say the specific prayers I was taught, and I go through the motions, and maybe you go to church every day, uh, and you do the sign of the cross, and you wear all the religious symbolism, be very, very careful, because that's a form of ritualistic sacrifice to God. And some of that 
in the right way, in the right heart can help. But overall, it's generally going to be something that's tricking you. And you find yourself coming before God like Saul before Samuel. (laughs) And we need to keep it simple and keep it from the heart. All right, let's worship in prayer and ask his blessing upon this day. Father God, thank you for your love for each person. And thank you that the truth of what we see here in Corinthians, that you have allowed us to come into your presence, that you are in us, we are in you, and that you think upon us, that you love us, that you choose to bless us beyond measure, even though we know we don't deserve it. And we want to, and we desire to serve you in humility. And we desire God to have the heart of David and not the heart of Saul. So search our hearts, help us to be real, help us to be (laughs) honest as we come before you and continually God show us your glory and help us to grow in all things that are of you. We thank you for the, for the blessings we have and for most of us, the security we have. Most of us, even though it's becoming more of an issue, we praise you because we're not living in the midst of a war zone and we're not being uh, persecuted daily because of, we simply want to come together and worship you. But we do pray for those that are in those countries and we thank you for their, their hearts and their steadfastness and their commitment to you. Those that are, that are in China, those that are in North Korea, Now, those that are in Sudan, God, we pray that you would do something there to help protect everyone that desires to live a peaceful life, but a special blessing on the Christians that are coming under persecution there, God. Help them in this really violent time. And somehow, God, use the government authorities to see a prudent and peaceful path out of this situation. We pray that these globalistic agendas will not be used to take over and uh, bring forth globalistic power structure. God, we just we pray for the people. We pray for the churches and the Christians that have very hard decisions to make. Do they stay? Do they run? Do they go? Do they fight? All of these things, God, help them in this very dire time, and especially that none of the chemical, biological weapons are, are, are unleashed, That's, that these... Um, rebels seems to have taken over this lab so we don't know what's going on so but just please keep peace there as well as taiwan and god we feel that there's major major stuff ready to rip this world apart and so we ask you god to prepare us in our hearts but also to hold it back we desire for that great last harvest of souls May you continue to use all those working in that for also think of tony and bernice where they're working right now Bless them, God, and all that they're doing over there. We pray that everything's going well. And other people ministering, Esti in Italy and her work there. Bless her church and their radio outreach, God, abundantly. Pray for the pastor's conference coming up next month, East Coast, that you would be strengthening these churches that have so many missionaries that will be going all over, that are going all over the world. And just continue to build up your church, God. We thank you and thank you for what you're doing here through the radio ministry, uh, through Manna for Breakfast, and in the church at the mission. God bless it today. We pray for those that were ministered to last night on the Malacon through the evangelism team. And God, just continue to refine us, continue to use us. Thank you for the blessing that we have. And heal those that are sick. Continue to touch Dean and Kim's daughters as they just wait upon you for their healing. And all those that have to be in bed, that have to take medication, or tests that have to be so patient as they're waiting upon 
your, your healing. May you encourage their hearts and let them feel your love and know you're there and know we're here. So thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. There we go for today. So keep us up to date on what you guys are doing, where you're from. I have been checking the um, audio podcast, the edited version of Man for Breakfast, and please subscribe to those. It really helps get more. More people can see it, and more people are seeing it. We are having now a, a steady a group of people listening every day on two to three different formats. It's growing. It's exciting. So the more we subscribe and listen, the more exposure we get. And in fact, when I looked at on one of the formats and I typed in Mana for Breakfast, it popped up, but down on the, the little toolbar, the little, I don't know what you call it, bar below with all the other ministries, radio ministries, it was Mana for Breakfast next to all the goofballs in Christian radio and Christian TV. I mean, just every one of the major ones that are prosperity and heretical. And fortunately, Greg Laurie was there and other two or three other good ones, but I was like, oh, Lord. Okay, thank you. At least, at least we there's some alternative to this heretical stuff that's out there. And there's so many good programs, obviously. I just don't know why I didn't see more of the good ones. And we'll just hope the Lord brings those up to prominence so people can see them. They want We want people to see the solid, good programs that so many churches have and not all the, the goofy, unbiblical ones. We'll put it, leave it at that. So God bless you guys. We will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.